don't mistake how you're feeling with how you're doing. And I thought that was really interesting because my whole life growing up, if I felt shitty, I was shitty. Right. You know what I mean? Like if I felt a certain way that there was no separation Mm -hmm. and I can't help but see and sort of the more, you know, the more I'm connected to them, the more, um, the more time we spend together, the more I understand their worlds, the more, you know, I, I, I meet other people in the neighborhoods, the more at some point I couldn't help but feel that I, I was almost becoming radicalized or something like there was some other thing that was happening where I couldn't go back or I couldn't look at the world in the same way again. Mm. And there were certain things that were happening in, in outside, you know, I'd go to meetings with clients. People would talk talking about million dollar projects. People, yeah. you know, you do I'd some big some, ones, some collectors and things like that. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and I couldn't help. And, and it's still something that I'm sort of reconciling. I'm kind of like wrestling with a little bit because there's times where I'm like, what the fuck is really going on? Yeah. You know, and you know, whether it's something you hear in politics or something that I hear at some dinner, um, I can't help but feel that it's not just these group of kids. It's what's happening in the world, um, whether it's through law enforcement, government. Um, I just think that somewhere along the way we had taken a wrong turn. And 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 I, I don't mean everyone. I just mean there was a, a, a big wrong turn. Here, one wants to create the Paris of the Far West. Evening traffic on Hollywood Boulevard attempts to mimic Parisian Boulevard life. However, life on the boulevard is extinct before midnight, and the seats in front of the Crick cafes, where in Paris one can watch street life in a leisurely manner, are missing. At night, the illuminated portraits of movie stars stare down the lampposts upon crowds dressed in fake European elegance, a declaration that America yearns to be something other than American here. Yet, in spite of the artists, writers, and aspiring film stars, the sensibility of a real Montmartre, Soho, or even Greenwich Village cannot be felt here. The automobile mitigates against such a feeling, and so do the new houses. Hollywood lacks the patina of age. We live in the age of the city. The city is everything to us. It consumes us, and for that reason, we glorify it. Anyone who has tried to take a stroll at dusk through a strange neighborhood patrolled by armed security guards and signposted with death threats quickly realizes how merely notional, if not utterly obsolete, is the old idea of the freedom of the city. In the meantime, gang members have become the stoic philosophers of this cold new reality. The appearance of crack has given the crip subculture a terrible almost irresistible allure, which is not simply to reduce the gang phenomenon, now or in the past, to mere economic determinism. Since the 1840s, when tough young Irishmen invented the modern street gang in the slums of the Bowery, Five Points, and Paradise Alley, making the Bowery Boys and the Dead Rabbits just as dreaded as the Crips and Bloods are today, gang bonding has been a family for the forgotten, a total solidarity like national or religious fervor, closing out other empathies and transmuting self-hatred into a tribal rage. But the Crips and Bloods, decked out in Gucci t-shirts and expensive Nikes, ogling rock dealers driving by in BMWs, are also authentic creatures of the age of Reagan. Their worldview, above all, is formed of an acute awareness of what is going down on the West Side, where gilded youth practice the insolent indifference and avarice that are also forms of street violence. Across the spectrum of runaway youth consumerism and the impossible fantasies of personal potency and immunity, youth of all classes and colors are grasping at undeferred gratification even if it paves the way to assured self-destruction. I tried to imagine how a native Manhattan would feel, suddenly discovering the New York Public Library's stone lions discarded in a New Jersey wrecking yard. I suppose the Selig lions might be Southern California's summary, unsentimental judgment on the value of its lost childhood, 
The past generations are like so much debris to be swept away by the developer's bulldozers. In which case, it is only appropriate that they should end up here, in Fontana, the junkyard of dreams. From the book City of Courts by Mike Davis. Welcome to the Lotus Crusher podcast with me, Dane Ensley. Our episode today, lovingly titled The Boys from Baldwin Village, includes Daniel DeJure. Daniel is a creator of incredible caliber. He operates Commonwealth Projects, Total Luxury Spa, and maybe most importantly, is a co-founder of Tropics, a local space for healthy food, healthy drinks, community events, and resources. I wanted to dive into Daniel's thoughts and ideas more intimately. We had had discussions in his studio and over dinner on a couple occasions. There's something mysterious about him, and when we met for the first time, it was obvious that there was something authentic driving his work. He's invested in people and the intricate relationships he has cultivated with them. He is focused on his emotional and spiritual development, which is obvious from the spaces he creates. Daniel seems to combat Mike Davis's incredibly apt description of Southern California's unsentimental judgment on the value of its lost childhood. He is on the front lines, lovingly supporting a generation of young men to learn and to grow and to achieve, and to not be the debris swept away by the developer's bulldozers. We discuss the shifting of culture in Los Angeles, being entitled to learning being teachable, and the things we didn't receive as children, and running toward discomfort. You are the owner and operator of Commonwealth Projects. That's correct. And you run a brand called? Uh, Total Luxury Spa. And you helped a bunch of kids start a uh, juice pop-up called Tropics. Yeah, Tropics is interesting um, because it's sort of taken on all of these different sort of lives or avenues now. Um, but it started with, with a group of guys. We got invited to the summit and, um, I, I don't think I re you know, they're like, there's gonna be like 2000 people here or something in the audience. I was like, okay. But I don't think I realized what 2000 people looks like Is it a lot? when you're sitting with a bunch of lights. On. Yeah. It's like not my thing. It's I like, mean, you can rather it really do something cool. like this. What's that? You kept it really cool. Oh, that's very sweet of you to say. You seem um, really natural. I was like, oh, well, Daniel's obviously it, done a million interviews and it, the Lotus it, Crusher podcast will be a breeze. There's also something to be said for um, specifically about that story. You know, it's a, it's a nuanced it's a nuanced story. So when you have a certain amount of time in front of an audience, like some live audience, and you're telling the story, I don't know, in terms of how Thomas and I met and where I live and, you know, a lot of people flew in from out of town to be there. So really? I don't think they really understand what, you know, LA and different parts of LA and communities and what's happening. And even in their own communities, I don't really know how truly tied into communities that they are. So to start a story with, you know, the community, the issues with that community. I felt uncomfortable when he, when the interview was directed at Thomas being a vegan. Oh, interesting. Like as if he couldn't be a vegan. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's something that's come up a few times. And, you know, when I first met Thomas and the guys, um, you know, they were skating. They were con I, I'd see him around the neighborhood all the time, skating, skating on the street in front of my place and skating at the skate park down the street. I'd see him around quite a bit. I knew they were local. And then when I met them, I met them through this, basically through a, a rager, a party on my the roof of our building, and they had snuck in. And that's how I ended up meeting them. And um, I offered them something to eat and they were all vegetarian. And at, at the time I was surprised that they were all vegetarian only because they were all vegetarian. So, you know, you had a group of, I don't know, there must've been eight to 10 kids that were between the age of like 17 and 19. Mm -hmm. We were barbecuing, we were doing our thing and they're skating around the neighborhood and, you know, I meet them and they're all vegetarian. I was like, they were conscious about what they were putting in their body. And, yeah. um, you know, the way that they viewed the world through conversations, even that evening when I met them, I was kind of sort of struck. I was kind of taken back a little bit that, that they were just so conscious and on one hand, extremely conscious. And on the other hand, extremely exposed to crazy environmental issues and yeah. 
life and things like that. So, yeah. so, so I've lived in, um, I lived in essentially the bottom of Baldwin Hills, West Adams area for now going on something like 12 years. And it's an area that I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I, I don't come from, uh, but I'm now heavily involved in, um, I think like with anything that we do, both kind of in place, uh, in culture and in, in, in the environment that we're doing it in, hopefully through sort of empathy and, um, kind of interest in sort of sharing ideas with other people, we can connect mm. with other people, mm-hmm. people that come from different backgrounds than us. Um, and there's a lot of things that we can share. And I think there's a lot of ways that we can help each other. And I, I think that it's part of the issues that we're in sort of currently, whether it's politically, um, culturally, whatever it might be, uh, that we're in now could be solved with a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. So my studio, uh, which is located basically in sort of South LA, um, is across the street from Dorsey High School. And across the street from Dorsey High School is, um, is essentially uh, uh, an apartment complex, low-income housing, uh, that has been slang uh, termed the the jungle, and it was called the jungle back in the '80s for a number of reasons. Uh, some of which are because there was a lot of a ton of trees there at one point. It was beautiful canopies that would sort of create these almost like caves uh, through streets. And in the '80s, uh, during a lot of the gang stuff that was going on, a handful of cops went in there and were ambushed, mm. and uh, it was pretty bad. Um, it's also the birthplace of the Bloods. Mm-hmm. When I say birthplace, the birthplace of the Bloods in Los Angeles, not um, in the world. So the Bloods started in Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, and and a couple of the founding members came over and they moved into the jungle. They originally started as essentially like a food program service. So it was very much like the Black Panthers, where you know people in the neighborhood who didn't have money or didn't have food, they would help them. Uh, uh, they would help them eat. They would help them, you know, find jobs. They were they were basically of service. Some of the founding members went to uh, jail. Different things happened, um, and essentially a void was created. Uh, there were other gangs sort of coming up at the time. This is also around the time of you know the crack epidemic and all of that stuff. And um, it eventually turned into a, a violent gang that originated and sort of uh, was kind of incubated in the jungle. So I'm across the street from that. And Dorsey High School sits between it. It's a it's a high school. So most of the kids in that area go to Dorsey High School. Or they go to a couple of, of the other high schools around the area, but mostly Dorsey. Behind Dorsey High School is a skate park. And that skate park, I learned early on, acts as essentially a safe zone. And the reason it acts as a safe zone, it's for a number of reasons. This story has a bunch of sort of nuanced kind of layers to it. But uh, it, it acts as a safe zone for a number of reasons, but one of which is... So when kids walk around the neighborhood and they have a skateboard in their hand, no one fucks with them. Right. It's like a white flag. It's a white flag. Yeah. Um, gangsters respect skating. This is the way I understand it. Um, for the most part, there's still stories about things happening to kids with skateboards. But for the most part, if you have a skateboard, you're pretty safe. There's stories of, of Thomas, one of the main one of the main guys who's not a kid anymore. He's a young adult. He just turned 25 uh, a few days ago, which is incredible. You know, he's had stories about walking back to a park without a skateboard and guys chasing him and him having to hide out and um, guys that were crips, essentially, Uh looking for people in that area to basically shoot and kill. Right. You know, understanding the neighborhood and and kind of getting more invested into it. um, I meet this group of guys. I I mentioned that I had this party on the roof of the building and uh, this group of guys essentially snuck in. To make a very long story short, we became close friends. I wake up at my place the next day and they're all there and they're all in the living room playing video games. And we just became friends. We would go out to dinner all the time, go get food. Uh, and at the time, you know, this group of guys were very much respected in the community. They knew a lot of people. They knew, they knew a lot of people that, that they had grown up with that had become big, big gangbangers, famous gangbangers. Sure. Um, their parents, their grandparents were also very famous gangbangers. And through that, throwing, through knowing these guys, I, I sort of somehow um, had a very strange sort of stance or kind of uh, uh, view of what was happening. In a way, I was with these guys all the time. Mm-hmm. It was before my girlfriend moved out here. Mm-hmm. So I was 
kind of hanging out with them a lot and yeah. understanding their worlds and their environment. They would come over all the time. And eventually Thomas, one of the main guys that I mentioned, uh, moved in. He needed a place to stay. He was sort of couch surfing and started, I, I saw him kind of going down the wrong path. And, and you could tell a lot of the guys, you know, they do what they need to do to survive. You know, they were, they were figuring it out. They were, they were whatever they could do to make ends meet. But they weren't gangbangers. They didn't hurt anyone. They skated. That's what they did. And they had their, themselves. They took care of each other. Yeah. So if one didn't have something, another one would sort of provide or help provide it. So I somehow became part of this group, like to the point where they would crash my house all the time. Uh, you know, if, if they needed anything, I'd be there. Um, they would check in. A lot of them started interning in the studio. Everyone that I work with in the studio, everyone I started working with in the studio also became kind of extended family members in a lot of way. Um, and then that was about five, six years ago now. And now, I mean, we're we're a family. It's not even, um, I, I don't really know how else to put it. There's a sort of a love and a respect that we all have for each other. It goes beyond, I mean, I've probably gone through more with them than I've gone through with my family, to be honest. Yeah. And, you know, uh, about a month ago, I went to two separate funerals in a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, one kid who was uh, 17, another kid who was 19, that were also part of this group. And, you know, uh, another one of them, uh, Tyshawn, who was extremely close with and I kept, I was trying to keep out of trouble as much as I could, ended up in prison. He's in prison now. I I talked to him a couple times a week. And and the reality, I guess, you know, I could tell you crazy stories for days, but the reality of a lot of it is that um, there was tools they weren't given Mm -hmm. growing up. That's the bottom line with all this shit. Yeah. To really cut through all the crap. There was just a lot of shit they weren't given and that they deserve, that they weren't given for a number of reasons, both given by whether it's family, things like love, attention, confidence, things like that, but also not given by the community. Um, not just their own community, but but outside community. Yeah. The rest of LA, the world, yeah. things like that. Yeah. And I can't help but see and sort of the more, you know, the more... I'm connected to them. The more, um, the more time we spend together, the more I understand their worlds. The more, you know, I I, I meet other people in the neighborhoods. The more, I, at some point, I couldn't help but feel that I I was almost becoming radicalized or something. Like there was some other thing that was happening where I couldn't go back or I couldn't look at the world in the same way again. Mm. And there were certain things that were happening in in outside. You know, I'd go to meetings with clients. People would talk talking about million dollar projects. Yeah, you, know, you do I some big some, ones, some collectors and things like yeah, that. And, yeah. and I couldn't help. And, and it's still something that I'm sort of reconciling. I'm kind of like wrestling with a little bit because there's times where I'm like, what the fuck is really going on? Yeah. You know, and, you know, whether it's something you hear in politics or something that I hear at some dinner, um, I can't help but feel that it's not just these group of kids. It's what's happening in the world, um, whether it's through law enforcement, government. Um, I just think that somewhere along the way we had taken a wrong turn. And 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 I, I don't mean everyone, I just mean there was a, a a big wrong turn. And I think I think there is a way to kind of get things back on track a little bit. And I think in some ways things like technology, the advancement of technology, the advancement of um, communication, the fact that we can reach more people quicker quicker. Um, that more people are listening in some ways that it's a blessing in disguise because I think um, it's also a time that, that these things can kind of become, you can sort of initiate a lot with a little, you know, where, you know, one person with a voice can all of a sudden reach all these people. And so it's a time where we might've taken a wrong turn, but I also think that there's something else interesting that's happening. There's Mm -hmm. sort of like some other sort of underbelly that's happening where I, I never thought I'd be able to, do half the stuff that um, me, my studio, um, these kids, uh, they're not kids anymore, I still call them kids, but um, have done. And I think, you know, now it's turned into Tropics is the name of essentially the, for lack of a better term, it's essentially a business. But basically working with these guys, we developed this idea to kind of launch a a juice business, which we're still in the works of, of essentially in a way launching. Um, we're looking for a brick and mortar space. You've been operating out of the underground museum. We were operating out of the underground museum. So essentially what we did was, um, we came up with this idea to 
to look at the area that we were in and and sort of do a little bit of a um, a kind of uh, I don't know a bullet point of like what does it lack? What does this area need? What do most areas need? Sure. What do areas deserve? What do people deserve? So um, you know I don't really like the the term food desert. I think I used to use it a lot, but um, it it uh you know everyone should have access. And when I say everyone, I mean everyone. Like should have access to healthy food, home, um, you know, uh, we shall have access to the same things. And uh, it, it's a right. It shouldn't be something, you know, that you get just because you're, you live close to a Whole Foods versus like you live, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. So it's, it's something that we all deserve. And, you know, um, so we quickly realized, you know, there were things that the area really laugh that we wanted to help provide. And one of them was juice, like this idea of not just juice in terms of Erewhon juice, um, nothing wrong with Erewhon. Love Erewhon. Love Erewhon too. Um, but uh, this idea of you know uh, bringing healthy food and juice produce uh, to uh, areas that need it, and so there's no better way to start than your home, like where you're at. So, you know, we we started Tropics, and and I realized early on I didn't know anything about food. I don't come from a food background. They didn't come from any sort of food background, so you know, we were kind of going this as an experiment. This is all of us kind of figuring this out as we go. Came up with the name Tropics specifically because of uh, the jungle sort of sure. being this backdrop um, and giving it sort of a positive twist. And, and you know, quickly teamed up with um, Sambazan, who's an acai company. They're amazing and, and really helped out. And, and you know, and we, we quickly, I think in the beginning, we were talking about opening up a brick and mortar space fairly quickly. And, and we quickly learned that uh, one, we need a ton of money, and two, you guys raised sixty grand. Right, there's all sorts of logistics that go along with yeah. that, and we weren't Licenses ready for that yet. And yeah, yeah. Right. So um, we came up with this idea: why don't we come up with a three to four month uh, workshop? I think it was four months in the end workshop that would exist in the back of the underground museum that's right. located a couple miles away from us, um, and it would act as essentially, a, in a way, like a boot camp or a school for the guys and myself. Um, to go through the basics of like coming up with recipes to what permits do we need to food handlers licenses to, you know, how large of a serving do you, you know, to customer service, to running the register, to the basics. Yeah. And these guys went into it with zero. I mean, not zero. They're all smart dudes, but they went into it like, I mean, like I went into it. We were green going into it. Sure. We would go to the produce market every weekend and go meet the guys selling produce. We got to know all those guys. And it was amazing. You know, when you put you put something out there, it attracts like-minded people. Yeah. So through that, that, that essentially acted as a school. We did a big fu- uh, Kickstarter fundraising campaign. Um, we raised a good chunk of change um, that all went into this four-month workshop and essentially paid the guys an hourly rate. Mm. Um, any money that was generated through the selling of juice and food and all that um, also went back in, went into the guys' pockets and, and went into you know uh, uh, all the equipment that we had to get to produce each week to all that stuff. So it was an amazing experience and it was a difficult experience, but it was amazing. And from there that came down and from there we've been doing all sorts of activations all over the city. So we'll team up with say an art fair that's happening. We'll team up with a farmer's market, Crenshaw farmer's market, um, things in our neighborhood. And we do these sort of like one-off kind of pop-ups. There's a, there's an event in a couple of weeks that we're doing and we're currently now looking for both a permanent space, um, on Jefferson somewhere. So to, to essentially do what we did there temporarily, but permanently um, in the neighborhood. Um, and, it, and I think it has to happen now. It's sort of like, it's extremely important that that happens now. Mm-hmm. Um, early days of Tropics consisted of doing a morning meditation, kind of mindfulness meditation at my studio. Right. And it's something that Thomas actually came up with. He's like, oh, we should do meditation classes. And I knew someone who was teaching meditation. So we started doing that at our studio and grew. Was that Uma? No. You have Uma now. I see it on your... Uma's, your, Uma's our teacher now. It okay. was this, um, this guy, Jesse Fleming, and he had moved up north. But at the time, it was sort of a mix between, like, I don't know, people that would be coming through our studio, yeah, designers and I don't know, teachers and clients. And sure. and then it was also people from the community. So sure. it would be, like, parents and kids. And it was cool. It was, it was a good mix of people. And it grew. And, and we stopped it at the end of summer of, I want to say... I don't know, a few years ago, two years ago. And so when we were starting this up, this kind of temporary pop-up, I was like, you know, a big component of Tropics has always been meditation. I always want to 
keep that. And it felt sort of, you know, it felt um, kind of synonymous with what we were, the message we were pushing. So um, we started doing it at the Underground Museum. It's every, now it's every Monday evening at uh, 7.30. Uh, and it's grown and went from, I don't know, 10 people to now it's got just under 50 a session, something amazing. like that. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and recently, I always had this dream and sort of the guise of bringing that. I was like, we're all in this sort of position in a way, both myself and the guys, because there was things like I said that we probably didn't get growing up. And so I was like, well, how can we bring that, not, not only to people now, but how can we bring that now to a younger generation? And so I'm extremely proud and um, it's something that I'm still kind of tripping on. We had this idea to bring it to elementary schools in the area. And so we are now in Hillcrest Elementary doing third grade and fifth grade. We're bringing it to Baldwin Hills Elementary and we're bringing it to Compton Unified. And it's, it's great. I mean, it's extremely overwhelming, but uh, the last couple sessions, one was, I was in one. You're yes, bringing the meditation, the meditation aspect. So we went in, so oh my God, me and the guys went talking in talking about this. So me and the guys went in and talked to the kids the first time about uh, what does it look like? What is, what does a juice bar look like? What is like, what did we have to go through to uh -huh. even get to where we are? Yeah. And we talked to these fifth graders it was really interesting and all sorts of crazy questions and it was cool. And through that process it was in the neighborhood and, and the, the principal in the school asked us to come in and talk. And through that process, I was like, these kids are super, super smart, really on it. And through that, I was like, you know what? This could be the perfect place to sort of do this meditation thing. And I was talking about what we were doing at the underground museum, the meditation and just what it was doing yeah. both for myself and I, what I saw it was doing for the community. And I was like, it's got to happen. He's like, yeah, let's do it. So we jumped through a million hoops to make it happen and it's happening. And uh, we just had our third session. We just started, just had our third session yesterday. Next one's tomorrow. So I'm now doing this three days a week, which is kind of crazy. And it's incredible. I mean, it's a whole new sort of challenge. I've never taught anything. You know, I'm, I'm there to help on the sessions. I don't lead the sessions. Uma leads them. She's an amazing uh, meditation instructor. Great with kids. But it's interesting to see you know, different types of exercises and different ways to sort of, you know, to get kids to kind of drop in and, and to feel the effects of it. And I never had anything like that in school. I would have loved it. And it goes back to that thing you and I were talking about of things that we did or didn't get or things that we rebelled against. And in a way it's like, you know, these kids came into the room and they were just like, what is this? And it completely in a way disarmed everyone. So we, you know, you know, we were starting from scratch. We're like, okay, we want to do something new. Yeah. And because of that, they were just like, let's do it. What are we doing? You know, and, and it, it comes with its challenges just like anything does. But it's been incredible. Lotus Crusher is sponsored in part by Qualia, a nootropic supplement produced by California based Neurohacker Collective. With daily use, I have eliminated my procrastination and my productivity has grown exponentially. With over 40 rare and premium brain-boosting ingredients formulated with optimal dosages, the difference in mental performance, mood, and energy from Qualia is unparalleled. Nourish your mind and increase your cognitive ability today. Use our discount code LOTUS, L-O-T-U-S, at neurohacker.com and get 10% off single-month orders or 15% off a subscription service. Where's your head at? Mine is fed by Qualia. Sorry, I feel like it just went you random did, there. Which is awesome. <laughs> it's like this idea of reconditioning. You could see it. Uh, you could you could describe it a lot of ways. But things we didn't get growing up, right? Uh, I believe part of that is because we've been conditioned a particular way and our culture and society has been conditioned a certain way. And I was talking with um, with a friend of mine about and, and I think we touched on it earlier, which is the idea of having the Pledge of Allegiance at the beginning of school. In this country, we get, you know, first, mm -hmm. second, third grade, you say you learn the Pledge of Allegiance, you put your right hand on your heart, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how cool would it be if you either replace that, and I sound like a, an anti-American freak. Mm -hmm. uh, I promise I'm not. And replacing it or extending it with a meditation. Mm. Right. It's like, how do you in my coaching practice and in my conversations with people and being teachable and learning new things is like, 
how do you affect the most change? How do you mm. create systemic change? Yeah. Um, and I, I think, and it's, it's not some new idea in the universe, but it's something that I've come to understand. It's, it's like getting these young men and women early, constructing these like when I and when I think of you and and we've had a, f- a few conversations and we've gotten to know each other a little bit over the last few months. Uh, I don't think of you as like um, uh, Daniel, Commonwealth Projects designer studio. I I don't. I think mm-hmm. of you as this guy who is a trying in many ways to construct ecosystems yeah right like how do you take these these young men in this neighborhood and embrace them and honor their ideas because you seem and i think this is the case to be truly invested in that why i don't know Hmm. but i dig it yeah yeah i i uh i definitely feel invested so much so that i feel like i actually um are you the dad? Um, are you dad or are you like, there's this, uh, I don't know where it comes from, but there's like the different um, players in the family. Yeah, sure. Right? Like, yep. Who are you? Are totally. You? Um, I think I've always been, I don't know if I can say I'm the dad. Um, um, I've definitely always been kind of the person that's um, putting the plan together. Yeah. That's uh, taking care of the friends. You know, we, I, we, my, my uh, siblings and I grew up in, in a home that was sort of, coined the orphanage and it was because all the kids in the neighborhood that didn't have a place to go or whatever and and that was more my mom than it was my dad um that's kind of where they hung out that was like their that that was the place that we would all hang out i would go to school and sometimes there'd still be kids hanging out of my house yeah they would stay there all day and yeah it was just that kind of place and um i think it was shortly after high school that i probably um took on that role a bit more definitely with my siblings um and then with the outside world as well it's probably a little bit difficult to talk about it uh yeah so so in terms of i guess my investment in in say say take tropics specifically um and and take the guys forget tropics for a second sure in terms of the guys um Right, because we could think about the, it as this brand. It, yeah, or exactly. We could think about it as like a it, collective of people who are trying to do something cool. And yeah, something good. Yeah, and and I guess that's where going back to sort of our original conversation about this summit uh, talk that I did in front of a bunch of people. Um, it, you know, obviously it was all about the brand. It was all right. about Tropics and what Tropics sure. was doing, and how amazing that it came from the hood. Yeah, and they, it's, you know exactly. Right. So you have sort of these things that you kind of fill in. You're like, oh, that's a. I, I understand that. I understand that, and and I um you almost have to unravel it at least for me to talk about it as like these dudes that I basically, I just fucking love them. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I took Thomas in, uh, Thomas was living with me. Thomas and I are tighter than anything. Mm -hmm. And we text every day. We check in, you know, we'll text this morning. I got a text from him that said, uh, today is your day. Today is your day, bro. Um, and uh, we, we send each other stuff like that. And I see them all the time. And, um, you know, and all the guys and myself, you know, all have our struggles. We still have our struggles. Yeah. We, we've overcome a lot of those struggles. They've overcome some crazy uh, hurdles uh, and still do. And I, I um, my commitment to them is sort of so much so that it, it uh, I, I'm, I'm so emotionally kind of wrapped up in it as well. That I think sometimes it, it it's probably more difficult than it needs to be even. Mm. Um, where I I in a way I have to stop everything else that I'm doing uh, because one it doesn't fit into this new picture that I see, and I guess um, yeah it's a uh, it's interesting that we're talking about it because it's something I'm, I've sort of very recently been kind of looking at and sort of trying to understand how to approach it and. You know, um, like I know what I would do if I had a ton of money. Yeah, well, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> I do know what you mean. But um, the reality is, I don't, and so <laughs> uh, I'm also in sort of the nitty gritty of it, and and the struggle of making things happen, and you know, um, all sorts of things, you know, and and helping the guys out, and uh, and helping guide them, and you know, Preston's another guy, um, one of the, one of the other Tropics guys, and. 
you know, he's at the office every day, he helps out, he interns, he, he, uh, he's been learning design. He, he works on a bunch of different projects. Every one of our clients loves him. Um, he, he works with other friends and, you know, a lot of these guys are now working in, in different places and, and Tropic something that they constantly come back to. And it's something that we, we're constantly growing and, you know, Preston helps lead the meditation sessions and, and host them. And, um, you know, so everyone ha- kind of has a different role in what they're doing. And they're all just heavily still involved in their community and what's going on. And, you know, and, and unfortunately still get caught in crossfire and politics and all sorts of crap that's going on in the neighborhood. And, yeah. you know, they come from there, that's their home and that's where they live and exist. And so, you know, that doesn't change a whole lot. Yeah. And so I think now, especially with gentrification and kind of what's going on in that area, um, they're also struggling with that and trying to figure out where they fit into certain things and sure. where they land and you know the guys the the tropics guys they're not going anywhere like we're family forever and so it's going to be i i realized very recently that we're, it's going to be this like this evolution like we're yeah. just going to grow together and we're going to watch them grow and it's going to be fucking sad and it's going to be happy and it's going to be all the things that like life normal life is normal life is yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. The, i think that you said the layering of culture and the layering of these components in an environment or a neighborhood or whatever it is uh, that I feel like that is, I was kind of, I, I was thinking, why is it that I really love your brand total luxury spa, hmm. spa? And I thought, well, the logo and, and what like the words are to me is important in that way. It's like this, my business and the work that I do with people is, is centered around this word uh, and it, it sounds so trendy, but it, it wellness. Mm-hmm. So it's very literal for mm. me. It's, and I love Los Angeles, this idea that you can bring that, that world or, or these ideas around wellness or, um, taking care of yourself mm. or nutrition or, you know, uh, optimization, whatever whatever words you want to add to it, um, and bringing it to real neighborhoods, and layering those things, and and creating this culture around taking care of yourself. That that's really what this podcast is about. Sure, I mean it's like how how do we construct an environment and a, a platform to talk about us? And taking care of ourselves mm-hmm. and helping take care of other people, sure, uh, and and doing it our way, right? And not yeah. like the handholdy. Um, there's nothing wrong with the handholdy, self-helpy mm. stuff. It's great. I get a lot out of it. Uh, but the, the imagery that you use and the the textures that you use, um, it, it's just something that attracts me so mm. much, and it. I just appreciate it in a major way because I think, I think you got it. You that's know? cool. That's yeah. That, that's really cool to hear. I think, you know, um, it's it's interesting. Uh, you know, to anyone listening, um, <clears throat> I, I'm I'm a white dude. The reason I bring that up is because obviously, you know, there's there's a lot of sort of uh, cultural conversations that happen, or sort of, uh, you know this discussion of race and things like that. And, um, you know, you can't, I'll, I I can tell you firsthand, you can't be naive to those things. I think you have to go into them, obviously educated and, and, um, and aware. But I think, I think there's a couple things. One is, are you helping people? Mm. Are you like, are, are you working outside of yourself? Um, that's one of the first ones. It's obviously easy to take, um, it's not so easy all the time to sort of give back or, or give. And I think there's different ways of doing that. You can do some of those things through design. Mm-hmm. I think some of those things are, are community-based. You know, and, and, and in this conversation, there's sort of a lot of different aspects to the way I sort of spend my days and what I do and how I work on things. And, um, and in a way, there's sort of these through lines that connect them. And, you know, with, with spa, Total Luxury Spa, you know, it's a clothing line that essentially it started as a, a book platform that was sort of a sister company to Commonwealth originally. Okay. And what was happening was my, my design firm Commonwealth was sort of building. We were working with some big artists and 
um, museums, institutions, and things like that. And through that, um, we were doing more and more kind of books, publications. And, and I also saw this void uh, where younger artists didn't really have a voice if they didn't have gallery representation or they didn't have um, uh, the means. They, they, their, their voice was kind of getting lost a little bit. I started working on uh, the sister company that essentially would help kind of give them a voice. So if we could attach them to other projects, if we could uh, publish a book or a zine or an event or something around their project and kind of, you know, elevate what they were doing, help them elevate it in a cool and fun way, then great. And a lot of these people were like my friends. Yeah. So it started as that. And then we did, every once in a while, we'd do like a fun little shirt or something we put out and they would always sell out. They would disappear really quickly and it was cool. And we had this idea early on. I was like, it could be cool to kind of do a, a shirt line around spa. It's just like a fun little thing. And we had designed this stuff, I don't know, years before. It just for some reason never came out. And then I came back across it. I always wanted to put it out. And I was like, there's a lot of stuff here designed. Could be cool. Uh, and we started putting it out and it blew. I, I don't think I realized the extent of sort of the, the momentum or the the attention it would get, and so now it's it's essentially a real business brand, clothing line thing. Yeah, people um, love it. Yeah, it's cool, and it, it um, it's been really fun to work on, uh, specifically because we don't have to answer to anyone, and also that um, what are we doing to give back? And I think you know with Tropics or uh, Total Luxury Spa specifically, you know we're teaming up with a lot of. Um, whether it's local uh, community-based restaurant owners to help promote their brands, mm-hmm. to bring attention, the proceeds go to them. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the things are just fun design objects that'll get it, get a certain amount of energy or attention with the intent to sort of plug something into them. So, you know, if we're good at design and we can create something that has a certain type of energy to it and attention, um, in a way you have the eyes on it mm-hmm. and you're able to then back that into, I don't know, um, there's a guy on Instagram named, I kind of don't want to give too much of this away because it hasn't come out yet, but um, sort of natural nutritionist. We're doing a, a Crenshaw Wellness shirt with him. Cool. There's one with a, a local kind of uh, vegan restaurant uh, on Slauson and Crenshaw that um, he needs some 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 love and attention and some, some, uh, and, and some funds. Um, so we're doing the shirt line with him that'll bring the funds to him as well. Um, we're teaming up with uh, Khalil Joseph to do a Black News uh, special edition kind of Crenshaw Wellness shirt. Um, there's a bunch of really fun things that are happening. And and the whole thing with the Crenshaw Wellness sort of silo of the brand, um, you know, in a way we can kind of run the throttle on it, meaning maybe it's not accessible to anyone, everyone, you know, like Crenshaw Wellness shirts in the middle of Shanghai don't make sense. And it's also blowing something out that doesn't need to be blown out. So. Yeah you know, you can't get it there or you can't get it not just there, but you know, it's on the right people. You can't just go and buy it anywhere. And there's a bunch of the other parts of the brand that you can, you know, total luxury spa or whatever. But you know, I don't, I don't want to, um, I don't want to just pull from culture from this end of these people and then pass it off to these people. There's a certain obviously respect that uh-huh. kind of needs to happen. And there's a certain giving back that needs to happen. There's a certain kind of conversation that needs to happen around those type of things. So we're very aware of that, kind of where where things kind of land. Do you find part of your own self-care to be helping? Everything good that ever happened to me is a direct result of me helping someone else. 100%. That's it. I mean, 100%. like, if I could crack it up to one fucking thing, yeah. that's the thing. And and 100%. And, and to be honest, I, uh, I, I, I think I used to do that stuff a bit when I was younger, but only out of necessity or mm. something obligation like like needing to be needed uh or something something sure. like that yeah in that place <laughs> does yeah. that make sense yeah you know yeah 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 um what is that that's like and 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 now i can i can i'm a bit more self-aware i can i can sort of see if i'm doing it for certain reasons i guess you know survival to be of service to sort of help better community to be there for other people to very free of self you know like like just straight up doing it i feel great in the process of doing it i sort of have a bit of a checklist you know being of service is definitely one of them the other one is being active uh-huh. you know there's certain things that i think help kind of balance the day or balance existence yeah you know yeah do you have 
some sort of goal for all of these things that you're doing or is it is it kind of like a constant state of evolution and adaptation like we were talking about earlier adapting and yeah it's a good question you know like do you are you gonna be the mayor of los angeles one day are you like not that you have ulterior motives yeah are you satisfied now not like are you going to hang your hat up today but yeah. are you satisfied with these projects with helping people with developing these environments in which you can be of service i'm satisfied in the sense that um i can sleep at night <laughs> i'm not like satis- one of us. i'm not satisfied in the sense that um I can't always sleep at night. That's actually, that's actually a lie. Yeah. Um, With your schedule, I imagine you lose a lot of sleep. Yeah. Um, I can sort of sleep at night, but um, I'm not satisfied in the sense that, um, you know, there's, there's the more I'm involved in these things, uh, specifically in community, uh, the more issues I see. And so because of that, I think there's... Um, you can't really be satisfied. Mm. Like things actually aren't okay no, at the moment. Uh, and so because of that, I sort of go in these waves of like feeling like, wow, everything is fucking turning to shit. Nothing's going to be okay. I don't know how anyone is getting out of any of this yeah. uh, to then moments of clarity. And I, and I think, you know, when you ask about sort of where this is headed, definitely not planning on being the, the mayor of LA. Um, but uh, I do love my city. Um, I, I think it's, it's like ironing, you know, it's like you, uh, you start somewhere, you go, you go forward a little bit, you iron back and you go a little bit more forward and you iron back and, you know, things behind you sort of get smoothed out a bit Mm -hmm. and you sort of learn your process, what we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I also have these moments of like perspective where I stop and I'm like, I look back and I'm like, okay, where are we? Like, what have we done? Yeah we fucked up a bunch of things yeah. over here or like, you know what I mean? Or like, yeah. you know, we had to go through this, a year of like trial and error on this one thing, but we learned we can apply it to this thing. Like how do we, you know, and, and now we're starting to look at things like grants and I've been self-funding this all through my studio so far, except for the Kickstarter campaign that we did, but everything else uh, through my studio and you know, it's, it's a lot and, and it's not like we have some sort of hidden bank account somewhere where this stuff comes from. It's, it's, you know, we do a project and I take part of the funds from those projects and apply them to this. And, um, and some are, you know, fun projects, some are love projects, some are community, some are for others. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's all, it's, it's how I now choose to spend my time. And I think I would love to see tropics have a permanent space in LA somewhere. That's like definitely a goal. I, I definitely want to see the meditation thing growing and mm-hmm. to, to new schools and, and to, you know, to, to seeing what happens when it, when it moves outside of California and LA and, 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 you know, really growing that in terms of a movement. And I want to see all that. I want to see all the guys uh, of tropics, healthy, growing up families, getting everything that they deserve. Um, probably that more than anything else. Mm. And, you know, I want to have a successful studio that continues doing these things. I don't think there's, to be honest, I don't look at it as sort of like a beginning and an end. There's some sort of beginning, but, you know, this is, this is sort of, this is a life thing. You know, I think last year my girlfriend said to me, she's like, you know, um, there was a lot of things happening at once. And, you know, I had to get one of the guys, a lawyer, you know, one of the guys got injured really badly an altercation um, where he was beat up really badly. I was in and out of the hospital with him. I'd go straight from the hospital to some crazy meeting at some museum, back to the hospital. Uh, all sorts of, it, it was a couple weeks to then a funeral, all sorts of crazy things. And I was like, this is insane. And um, my girlfriend said to me, you know, you're in this for life. You're past the point of like no return. Like, you know, I just, you know, you know where you are in this. And I was like, I, I know, like I, and there is no choice, you know, and, and there's times where I think I freak out a little bit because I haven't done this before. I'm sort of figuring this out as I go. I'm obviously looking at people around me and learning and gotten to meet some incredible people that have been through similar things that have helped people. I'm figuring it out, you know, and yeah, 
each day at one at a time and yeah. you know hopefully we're making progress and I think I think there's times where I, I feel like we we're not making as much progress as I'd like to be making uh, and other times where you know we're sort of getting ahead of it a little bit do you avoid discomfort it's a question I've asked recently of a bunch of people because um, it's interesting yeah. to me how people will go sort of either go to extreme lengths to avoid discomfort or have a general inability to accept the fact that there will be a lot of uncomfortability in their lives. I think everyone sort of in one way or another struggles with discomfort Mm. as I do. But I'm also, especially in the last, I'd say five years, I've definitely learned to sort of embrace it. Mm. To, to the point where I sort of now move towards it. Right. It doesn't feel, it doesn't always feel, it's not like an easy thing to do, but I, I now move towards it a little bit in the sense that um, I, you and I were talking about jujitsu earlier. Um, so whether it's something That's active. That's where I was headed with this. Okay. Jiu-jitsu because I thought you are a, you're a, uh, is, is Brazilian jujitsu the same? Same as, thing. It's right. As, as BJJ, know. yeah, or jiu-jitsu. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of discomfort in that. There's a lot of discomfort in that. Yeah. And it, it's funny, when, when I'm uh, when I'm super busy and I can't go to, to class and say, I just missed, just recently I was traveling for work a lot. And I would go while I was traveling a little bit, but there's something that happens when you're going consistently where you get so okay with the shit. <laughs> you get so okay with the discomfort. Mm-hmm. And I definitely apply that to other things in my life. Like... I remember when I first started going to jujitsu, I um, I was underneath a big Hawaiian guy, and I say Hawaiian because for some reason Hawaiians seem to understand how to like drive weight. Big dudes, uh, big dudes, Can and be he was a big dudes. dude, and he wasn't even really doing anything. He was just like on me, and he was just like a wet blanket. Yeah, on you know, I was on my back, and he was basically like laying on my face, uh, and it was so. It was so uncomfortable. I, I thought I was going to panic. And he stopped and he said, he's like, I can feel your heart beating. And he said, just be okay with this. Like, you're mm. not going to die. Mm. This is in the early days. He's like, you're not going to die. And then I remember fast forwarding, I don't know, a year later or something like that. And just being in a very similar position. And I, it felt like I was like laying under the sheets or something. I was just like, I could be here all day. This yeah. is like but my hundred percent of my heart rate did not go up. Like I was just so okay with anyways, I was traveling not too long ago for work and I missed like a month, which is the longest I've ever gone without going three weeks, a month, something like that. And I went back to class and I was under this guy. We were fighting and we're training and and I was under this guy and I felt that discomfort come back a little bit. Mm. And it was a lesson in sort of like you need to, you know, you kind of need to like constantly check in. Like you you have to constantly evolve. Like it's not like you just did this thing once and it's like you're good. Right. Like, no, like it, it is to some extent. But uh, I felt that thing. I was like, what? I was like, damn, I'm like going backwards a little bit. So it's interesting that you bring that up, the discomfort thing. But definitely like things like jujitsu or, you know, I hate running. Mm, so I run. I do run. But I had to teach myself how to how to run. I hate it. Uh, even now, I suck at it. Even now, when I'm I'm okay at it. Uh, I did a couple triathlons last year, and I had to learn how to do it because of that. And I have some buddies that got me into it, and they run a lot. And I'm definitely not good at it, but um, I got better at it. And you just do it, and your body adapts. And there's a certain kind of stress that you apply, and then your body adapts to that stress, and I don't know. You start doing it more and more. And the next thing you know, you're like running fucking 10 miles or whatever it is. And you're like, how on earth did that just happen? And the discomfort in that way through physical activity more so than anything else, I think through, through being physically uh, uncomfortable has shown me ways of applying that to uh, whether it's mentally or yeah, psychologically, I guess you could say. Yeah. I, I probably struggle with it psychologically more than anything else. But jiu-jitsu is a big psychological game. I mean, that's... For sure. It's like for sure playing chess yeah. with another human yeah. and yourself. Yeah. But but the but the discomfort aspect of it... Um, the psychological discomfort. It, yeah. yeah. That, that 
has is something that I now try to apply to places where are strictly psychological in my life. Um, I'm always the guy who like, I want to process it. I want to sort of understand it. I want to get analytical. I want to like look at it from different angles. I want to like, so, um, so are you quicker to do that or do you have uh, to wait a time and process? Um, I'm quicker to do that now for sure. Yeah. I think I just have more tools now than I did when I was younger, you know, before I, you know, I, I heard someone last week say, um, don't mistake, uh, hold on. I don't want to fuck this up. It was, um, don't mistake how you're feeling with how you're doing. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting because my whole life growing up, if I felt shitty, I was shitty. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if I felt a certain way that there was no separation, mm -hmm. you know, I know in meditation or mindfulness, they call it the second arrow where it's like something bad happens to you. Someone says something to you that gets you the wrong way. That's the first arrow. Mm -hmm. And then everything that you apply to yourself, that comes after that like oh man that guy shouldn't have said that thing to me and i shouldn't have done this and next time he says this i'm gonna say that's the second arrow mm. you don't have to feel that second arrow mm -hmm. that that second arrow is all you yeah and so it's just perspective and things like that so um that learning that through meditation and through um just getting a little bit of perspective on self that that did a lot that that as far as discomfort goes there's times where i'm discomfort you know, I'm uncomfortable, but you kind of, um, I don't know. You learn to ride the wave. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you, you kind of just go, learn to ride You it. go towards it. You go towards it. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Like I, my girlfriend got me for my birthday. She got me a seven day survival course in mm -hmm. Utah, which is so sick. And I can't. Amazing. Wait, right. And you go out for seven days yeah. in the wilderness with this agency that's done it for yeah. like 40 years. So they know what they're doing. It's like, you know, you're not sure. like with some fucking goons. Yep. Um, and all you get is a knife. That's it. A knife. Yeah. Maybe some, uh, like you have to like strap your, uh, you, maybe you, I think you bring like a blanket or, you know, there's like a, a few things. You don't get a backpack. Yeah. They teach you how to make a backpack out of rope. Insane. And you, for the first two or three days, they teach you how to like harvest bark. And Crazy. All sorts That's of, really cool. Yeah. And then they let Love you it. loose. They're like, yeah. all right, you're alone. Yep. And you have to survive for three days. I cannot wait. Yeah. Can. It's going to be so uncomfortable. Yep. And it's going to be so exciting. And there's a part of me that's ego driven. That's like, I'll be ready for anything. And I can like, if I'm, you know, yep. if I'm ever, I mean, I live, <laughs> I can see the downtown Los Angeles skyline from my window. Yeah. I don't probably won't have to harvest bark, <laughs> but like <laughs> if, right, if yeah. I'll, I'll sure. be ready. Uh, but then there's also the part and that's the ego part. And then there's also the part that's like, this is going to propel me into that level of discomfort that is necessary to grow and mm. change and evolve and sure. adapt and like remain teachable. Sure. You know, it's like, I can't go into that setting. Like you can't go into a jujitsu class thinking I got this. Oh yeah. Oh, oh I got it. You know, yeah, yeah. Samoan guy got him. Yeah. Hawaiian guy got him. Yeah. They call it the, um, they call it the douchebag filter or like yeah. ego filter. Yeah. Because you're, it doesn't matter how good you are. You're getting your ass handed to you by someone. So totally it, it you kind of have to let all that shit go Yeah. early on. I go and I bust ass in, in, um, in Ken when I'm in Kenya, I go to the CrossFit gym there, uh, CrossFit Quetu, and and I learned very early on, and I'm not like a big CrossFitter. I, I lift a lot of weights, but uh, after a couple years of going to Kenya all the time for work, I stumbled into this this gym, and there's like a great group of dudes there and a great group of gals there, and like everyone there is really cool, and so it's like a cool place to hang out first and foremost. Mm. And then to be able to, to work out and train with these guys is also so cool. And it's like Amazing. a place I never thought I'd ever get to know. Yeah. It's like, it's like what you said earlier is like, I never thought I'd do any of this shit. Yeah. Right. And like how I got here, I don't, it's like luck. Yeah. A lot of hard work. There's a, another podcast called the unbeatable mind by this guy, Mark divine. And he says, and it might be a military saying, cause mm -hmm. he's a uh, former Navy seal. He says, embrace the suck. Mm -hmm. A lot of this shit is just embracing yeah. the suck, right? Yeah. Um, but I learned there 
that I can ne- I can never come in leading with my ego because mm, I'm for gonna sure. get my ass handed for to sure. me. Yeah, right? like I gotta sludge these weights through mud and you know whatever all the yeah. all the components that go into a CrossFit workout. It's like it's the same thing. And mm. what I was getting to is like I can't go into any situation thinking I, I got it all. You know, it's like yeah. there's the constant reminder, at least for me, of like. Just forget what you know. Yep. Yep. Remain yeah. 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 Hundred and like and just shut up. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, and I think you know you you obviously with anything you sort of you know you apply some knowledge that's come before it. Sure. The things that you can apply. Um, you know, sometimes I think about certain design things. I guess when I'm doing jujitsu, in a way. Um, you know, there's certain things that you do apply, but yeah, you're right. Like you also go in as sort of like free sponge like as possible yeah. to sort of accept and, you know, yeah. And I think there's also something to be said for, I mean, we were, you and I were kind of briefly talking about it earlier, but something to be said for, you know, anything new that you do, anything new that you get into, um, this idea that you have to sort of, it's like anything, you know, when we were little kids from riding a bike to, I don't know, learning a new language to whatever that might be. It's difficult in the beginning. Yeah. And it might continue to be difficult, but it gets a little bit less difficult. Yeah. And your sort of body through stress, through new information, through all these things, you sort of adapt. And I think with that, and when you adapt, it's something I've always been fascinated with, but when you adapt, I don't know, you become obviously more confident, more relaxed in it. You sort of then apply that kind of thinking to other things that you're doing, mm. it, it changes you. It, mm. it almost changes like the DNA or something. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not one who was ever forced to go into sports or do homework or there's yeah. zero, like I mentioned earlier, there was zero structure in my life. Yeah. So I had to, that that process, I sort of had to learn that myself. And so I don't know, even something like jujitsu or something, I'm the last person that would typically go into something like that. And even when I'm in it, definitely in the beginning, and even now, um, it was extremely difficult. It didn't come natural. It, you know, and I, and I was like, fuck this. Like, what am I even doing this shit for? There'd definitely be days, and there still are, where I'm just like, I feel like I'm going backwards or whatever. But there's these moments where mm. you do feel yourself, you're like, holy shit, I'm actually pretty far down that road. Right, that was a lot of golden nuggets. Yeah, and yeah. those golden nuggets are the things that then I apply to things like in the office. Yeah, I apply to design. I apply to conversations. I don't know, 10 years ago, I probably would have never have done this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, would, I would have been like, I don't know if I have anything to say. And now it just it's much more natural. So yeah. I don't know. There's something beautiful in that yeah. that, that I, I hope everyone can both kind of apply to their lives, but also feel that a certain kind of uh, a confidence in naivete or something mm. like that, yeah. you know, like a certain type of confidence in the unknown, you know, that like you, d- you deserve to have that. Like even, f- even if it's a struggle, even if you're not the greatest, at it, you, you deserve to try it. And I never knew that. Yeah. And, and like the idea of not knowing and being okay, not knowing like, l- and learning and being Completely. teachable. Cause that, uh, I was never taught to be teachable. Like you, I, I was never taught or lubricated or primed as a young man to to learn. Totally. You're like just sort of expected it, to learn. 100%. I go to school, sit down, shut the fuck up. Yep. Say the Pledge of Allegiance and learn. Yep. It's like, well, I, you know, I'm all fucked up in the head as a kid and like... Uh, and have a problem with authority and like want to drink and whatever, you know, it's like... Yep. I don't want to be here. Yeah. And how do I learn? And how do I do homework? Yeah, I, think I was never expected point, to do homework either. Yeah. I think the, the one of the first, and, and this is, you know, I don't, I don't have kids, so maybe I'll, I'm sure I will be different if I do have kids. Uh, you know, sort of forced kind of, you know, high school, yeah. elementary school, you're, you're sort of put into a program. Yeah. You know, and and hopefully you have a good teacher that sort of can connect with you and and drop in and you can drop in and there's a connection. So it makes that learning process a little bit easier. Did you have a good teacher? No. um, I mean, I'm sure I I did along the way at some point, but there was no, I never really had, there was definitely a a science teacher that I had Mm -hmm. in elementary school named Mrs. Nold. Mm -hmm. 
She had one eye. Or I got knocked out with a golf ball. Her boyfriend was golfing. Um, But she was a science teacher. And she was super cool. She She would take us out in the field all the time and kind of the whole class. And we would just go learn like in the real, like in, in, in the environment. Um, and that was really cool. That felt like all of a sudden a different way that we were connecting to like the information that we were getting um, instead of just, you know, this chapter and this book and it's the same chapter that everyone else is reading. And there's no, I always had problems with that. And I think it's also the environment that I was brought up in. There was no real structure. So again, I never really exercised that kind of muscle or, hey, you know, you might be going into this thing not feeling great about it, but just like continue with it. I, w- I just wouldn't feel good about something. And I'd be like, I'm out. Yeah. Like I'm going in a different direction. Right. And then it was just a struggle. Right. You know, there's a lot of books that I've read since high school that I was supposed to read in high school that I just didn't yeah. because the, the delivery method was wrong. Yep. That, um, you know, I'll never forget reading Catcher in the Rye when I was then... 22 yeah. or 23 and I was like what the fuck yeah. like Fucking I was supposed to read out. this in school yeah and I was like fuck the teacher I'm not reading this yeah and so there, there's lessons like that um that I I don't know there's um there's things like that that I'm much more open to even when they feel very uncomfortable now but that's definitely something that's self-taught yeah you know yeah well you learn through I, I don't know I had to learn through failing for sure. Right. Yeah. And like self-destruction and like this whole thing that, I had to, you know, and then it's like, oh, right. I don't know everything. Yeah. My ego doesn't serve me. And yeah. I got to like, you know, sit down and shut up and, and learn and like learn how to be a man and learn how to be an adult and yeah. learn how to be right sized. And yeah. like, and then you're and then you become primed or I, at least I did. Yeah. Like I, I, I definitely primed the, to learn. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel like I took the long road. Yeah, me too. To get there. Yeah. I mean, I guess it was the only way, but yeah. Uh, my it's pretty only good way. now. Pretty good now. Yeah. I'm all right. I'm still learning. Are you recruiting? Is there any way that people can get involved in any of these projects or are you keeping them intimate and close right no, now? Like no, no. I'm the, um, the tro- meditation tro- practice. Yeah, and- Tropics Tropics um if you go to tropicsla.com, that's a that's uh the best way to kind of get in touch with us. To sign up for a newsletter and um and then uh, through that, through our Instagram, um, Tropics LA, um, is definitely kind of the best way to kind of get in touch with us to keep up to date on what we're doing, both kind of from the juice aspect, uh, what the guys are up to, and then from the meditation aspect. Um, and it's probably the thing that we need the most help with, mm. um, both through volunteers, uh, you know, obviously funds, capital, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, space and things like that. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's the first time. Yeah. It was great. Doing anything like this. It's great. <laughs> cool. Thanks. Thanks, bud.